chapter 3, verse 21 through 22, is where we're going to pick it up at. Um, When I was in Peru, I taught at the Bible college there. My subject was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of the most misunderstood person of the Godhead. You know, one of the things that I remember growing up in, uh, in the faith early on is that I didn't know a whole lot about denominational barriers. So I would visit every church there was, whether it was the Baptist or the hyper-Pentecostal church, I was visiting, visiting them all. And, and man, my eye was awakened to some of the things that took place, you know, at the, at the Pentecostal churches, you know, the, the running around, you know, and uh, they would say that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you do things for the, for the Lord. And I would see, I would be sitting where you're sitting and watch people run around the church and I'm like that, man that's crazy and then the, the older ladies get up and they run I think they're gonna faint but they go for it man and I'm like and then you know you see the shaking uh, you know and, and there you know you're just watching so many uh activities that one would say it is of the Holy Spirit you know and 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 I remember when they would ask me, they'd say, would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'd say, no, I don't want to do that. You know, and, 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 and what a misunderstanding, huh? A lot of that is emotionalism. Um, if you're emotional, uh, you, may, you may enjoy that. But I'm not a very emotional guy, so I, I didn't enjoy that. You know, I remember when we were being prayed for uh, that we would receive the power of the Holy Spirit and they were laying hands on us, and there was a young, we were all young men, and so we were coming, and all my friends were lined up, and I was like sl- lined up in the, in the back, and I was, you know, I was so excited that the Holy Spirit was going to fall on us, and people were praying for this, and my friends were, they were going down to the floor, and I was like, right on, man, whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do to me, I, I'm ready to receive this work, and I get up there, and nothing, man. The pastor's trying to throw me down, and I'm like, no, no. Am I demon possessed? Is that why I'm not falling? And I started thinking all these weird ideas. How can these guys, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit and not me? So I would, so I was like crying out to the Lord, Lord, don't pass me up, you know, and the, all those kinds of things. And I realized that it's just emotionalism. They wanted to experience a work of God, a true experience, by the way. And God met them, but they experienced it in a funny way by falling down. Whereas I'm not emotionally driven, so I didn't fall down. They tried to make me fall down, by the way. (laughs) But I didn't. That's such a big misunderstanding, isn't it? I think of, you know, early on I would read about the book of Acts and how the Holy Spirit would come upon Peter and these guys, and they would do bold and courageous things. And, and I remember hearing some of the people saying, yes, you can't control the Holy Spirit. If he makes you get up and speak publicly, he was going to do that, and you can say nothing about that. And I'm like, 
man, no, I don't, I don't want to do that, you know? And so, you know, I'm this, you know, quiet, shy guy sitting in the, you know, pews going, man, no, not me, Lord, don't do that to me. And I realized that that's not it at all. The Holy Spirit's going to give you power, but you get to say yes or no. And as the Holy Spirit is gifting you, you get to say, yes, I want that, Lord. I'll get up and share. And then the Lord takes that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, takes the fear and gives you boldness and you get up. He's only gonna use, going to use those who say yes. So if you never say yes, you're never going to be in an awkward position. But you're going to miss out on a lot. The Holy Spirit wants to do something powerful in your life, but don't misunderstand his work. And so in this morning, I want you to know the Holy Spirit that I've come to know. First, the Holy Spirit is God. He's part of, he is of the Godhead. He has all the attributes of God. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere at once. He is eternal. Do you realize he plays a, a very large role in our salvation? In fact, Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 5 says this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now notice, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us to God. It's the Holy Spirit that illuminates us. We were blind, but we see that's the Holy Spirit. He gives us the rebirth. And then when we have the rebirth, meaning that you were dead in your sins and now you're born from God, you're born again, rebirth. Now you're of God. Now he begins to clean you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice here now uh, what I like to do this morning is I want to take a look at the work of the Holy Spirit and the believer beginning with the life of Jesus. He's going to illustrate the power of the Holy Spirit very clear in the teaching of God's word. So let's begin in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And, was, and as he was praying, heaven was open. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove. Notice it's not a dove. It's like a dove. It's like the shadow, if you will. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son in whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So this morning we see the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. And so let's pray and then we'll just dive right into this. Lord Jesus, we pray by your spirit that you would cause your word to come alive in our very soul. We pray that you would open up our thought patterns so that we can understand the words that's being taught and read we pray that you give us knowledge and wisdom beyond our comprehension so that we can understand completely the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus at baptism. A couple of theological issues that I want to kind of clear up here. The first one is this, is that if Jesus, you know, baptism was for sinners, so why is Jesus being baptized he had never sinned. So let, let's just talk about that a little bit. In Matthew, John the Baptist is telling Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus replied there in verse 15 of Matthew 3. 
Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented and said, okay, I'll do it. So what Jesus' baptism symbolizes his coming ministry as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, who would die for the sins of the world so that others could become righteous. Thus he fulfills all righteousness. It symbolizes his future death. During Christ's ministry, he used a figurative language of immersion as a symbol of his coming death and resurrection. It's the same idea in Romans 6 when it talks about baptism. When you get baptized, this should have took place in your heart, by the way. This is just the outward work that we're showing the world. We believe in Jesus. But when you get baptized, you're going to your grave under the water. So when you're underwater, you're in your coffin. And the old man has put the rest there. He's dead. But when you come out of the water, you're raising from the grave. That's that symbolic work that's taking place. And you're coming as a new person in Christ. This all took place in your heart, but at baptism, that's what's happening here. So Jesus is doing this. When John the Baptist is calling all sinners, he's doing this to fulfill all righteousness. He's saying, I'm going to die on the cross for sinners, but I'm going to rise from the grave. So let it be shown through baptism. It's a beautiful expression of what he's showing here. Though he had never sinned, he too is being baptized to identify with sinners like you and I. That's an amazing work. Another theological question you would ask is that if Jesus is God, then why does he need the Holy Spirit to come upon him? I think Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 7 makes this clear. Let me read it to you. In verse 5 it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, speaking of serving. Who being in very nature God. Now now this should blow your mind. It's saying there, uh, he's saying that Jesus is God in every way. Every attribute Jesus has of God, every attribute. And it says there, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Listen, he's... Though he set his authority aside and being a servant, he didn't let go of the Godhead. He was still God. That's what it's saying there. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Wow, that is amazing. But made himself nothing. Notice that. He made himself of no reputation taking the very nature of a servant, setting his authority aside, saying, putting his power aside and saying, I'm going to be governed by God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so it isn't that he emptied himself of God. That would be heresy. He's always God, 100% all the time. But here he sets authority aside and says, I will only do what my Father allows me to do. In fact, I'm going to give you an example of this. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, it says this. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones uh, to become bread. Now Jesus had all the power, all the power of God had to turn these stones into bread. But what does he say in verse 4? He says this. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He set his authority aside. He says, I'm not going to do 
anything other than what God allows me to do. And that's why he's weak or tired. That's why he's thirsty. That's why he's hungry. That's why he doesn't know the future events of Revelation. You know, when, you, when, when they ask him, when is the time uh, of your coming? He says, I don't know, only my father knows. Because he set that authority and power aside. At any time, you could ask for the father, information from the father, and the father would gladly give it to him. But he didn't move outside of the Holy Spirit's realm or the father's realm while he was on earth. And, it, and I love it because he's teaching us how to be governed by God. How to be led by the Holy Spirit. I love that. And so here he is now being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, it says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has Jesus. We often say, do you have the Holy Spirit? It's better said, does the Holy Spirit have you? I like that. Because a lot of times we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in our own lives. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all these beautiful fruits. We say no to the work of the Holy Spirit instead of allowing him to transform us. Does the Holy Spirit have you? And so Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Now notice the Holy Spirit is leading him. It says there, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. I love that now he's being directed by the Holy Spirit here. And in the, the Holy Spirit leads him into this epic battle. You know, this battle between the Son of God versus the devil. Every man has failed under the temptation of the devil, starting with Adam all the way to, you know, all the way down to Moses and even to us, we all failed. But Jesus, he gets up in this epic battle and defeats the devil. And how does he defeat him? By the word of God. It is written. Now remember that no one's there to testify of this. So Jesus has to tell the disciples that a very event. And the reason why Jesus tells them so that he would give him the solution, the answer on how to defeat the devil. Submit yourself to the word of God. That's what he's teaching us. If you want to be victorious in your Christian walk, submit yourself to the word of God. And I love it. So the Holy Spirit leads him. There's something to be said in hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you. It's a skill that you learn. Uh, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit just leads you into places, you know, you're just driving and you're like, how did I get here? And all of a sudden someone says, hey, can you help me? You know, and you're like, yeah, what do you need? Can you uh, take me down to the store to get some gas? I ran out of gas. Oh, hop in. And you get it. And you lead that person to the Lord. I had an a, a incident in America of all places. I was driving. It was wet. And I was timing the light when I was looking at the light, you know how you do that when it's turning yellow? You're like, oh, all right, all right, my light is going to turn green. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gas it. And it was rainy. Have you ever done that? I know you guys. Maybe it's just me. Anyway, so I, I, um, so I floor it, and in the corner of my eye, I can see somebody blowing through the yellow light on his bike. <laughs> so he's, he's just going through his bike, and it's, it's wet, and I see him, and he sees me. And he just falls to the ground, but he's sliding. And I, and I had already floor, I mean, I hit it. And I'm like, oh, he's going to die. <laughs> or something's going to happen. You know, and I tried to maneuver, and I couldn't. I hear crunch, crunch, crunch. 
And I'm like, oh, no. It's like, I, you know, my back wheels go over and everything. So I get out of my truck. It was just his bike. And I was thinking, man, I go, get in my car. I got a bike for you. And he gets on. He goes, sorry, my fault, my fault. He goes, I thought I could just beat this red light. I go, so, I thought so did I. You know? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't tell him that. But he, I give him a bike. And, we're, and I go, tell me where you live and I'll drop you off. And so I'm sharing the gospel with him. He gives his life to Jesus. And I said, in just a millisecond, you were this close to death. Now you have life. That was the Holy Spirit directing me. Being led by the Holy Spirit is so important. And understanding, as the, understanding the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's beautiful. Here Jesus is led to that epic battle. Now look at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee, notice this, in the power of the Spirit. Oh my goodness, this is going to be fun. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogue, in their synagogue, and everyone praised him. So he's doing this Galilee ministry, and there's so much miracles that are being uh, done at this place. There's the first disciples follow, that follow Jesus. Um, Jesus turns the water into wine. Jesus cleans the temple or clears the temple. Many Samaritans believe in Jesus. Uh, Jesus heals uh, the son of the government, uh, the, the official who was serving in the government there. So many miracles done. This is the power of the Holy Spirit on an individual. But here, Jesus. The reason why we read this in Luke is that Luke is portraying the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ. In fact, John writes that all these miracles were done that you might know that he is the Christ. I love that because that's what all these miracles are portraying. And it says there, now he's going to his hometown in verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now, this is the place they knew him as a boy. You know, now he's coming home and they're like, do some of your miracles here. We know you. We know that you're faking everybody out. Or they're just saying all these horrible things about Jesus. So he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And as was his custom, he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Notice what was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Mm, this is so powerful. Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit has come upon me that I might preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in verse 20, he says, then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fasted on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is amazing. Jesus is getting up saying, the Holy Spirit has filled me and I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And now he's anointed me to preach these very things. Listen to this. This is a quotation out of Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 2. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus says, this is my ministry. And what a welcome ministry. A ministry that would bring healing and hope to a lost people. In all ages, throughout all time, people have had the same issues. The poor in spirit. I, I think of, you know, the countries I've visited, places like India, places like Nepal, places in, in Africa where I, we would drive by people and stop and give them food and, and little baby, little children that had their bellies bloated that they're going to die in the next two or three days. And you can do nothing for them. Even if you gave them food at that time, you couldn't do nothing for them. They were going to die just because of poverty. I think of the writer who wrote this in 2013, and it's a, it's a famous writing, uh, but no one knows who wrote it. It says this, if you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, your wallet, and some spare change, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. Welcome to America, right? But I'm telling you, a lot of Americans don't have that. They're, they're living check to check and wondering how they're going to get by. If you woke up this morning with more health uh, than illness, you are more blessed than a million people who will not survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the agony of imprisonment or torture, or the horrible pangs of starvation, you are luckier than 500 million, million people alive and suffering. I read this. It's from a 2019 article. It says that 85% of the world live on less than $30 per day. Two-thirds live on less than $10 per day. And every tenth person lives on less than $1.90 per day. That's, uh, you know, here in California, we all got a raise. Well, some people. You know, now you can work at McDonald's for $16 an hour and uh, in and out burgers for 18. So, man, I'm like, it's still poverty, though. People are barely making it. And Jesus says, I've come to preach the good news to the poor. Think about his preaching. He tells them that there's a way to get to heaven. And then, once they accept the way, he points to himself as being the way, Jesus Christ. He says, when you join me in heaven, I'm going to make you joint heirs with me. You'll have a kingdom that's beyond this earth. Such hope. He gives hope to the poor. You see, he places their mind not on the things here on earth, but in the heavenly realm. And that creates a hope that can't wash away any, you know, all the negatives. I mean, they, you, you can't wash away the hope. No matter how poor or starving or whatever it is, that hope in heaven one day gives you so much joy in your soul. No matter what condition you're in, it gives you so much peace. It allows you to continue. That's what hope does. And I love that about Jesus. Now, it also has some spiritual truths there, not just the poor, because we know that even if you're rich, you still have poverty of the soul. Many rich people are committing suicide. Many rich people are divorcing and fighting and, 
So many, it's just not the rich, but it's also speaking of spiritual truth, the poor in spirit. You're separated from God. You need a way to get to God. That's what, the, that's what Jesus is all about. He came down to the earth and made a way for you to get to heaven. And he gives, you know, this, this poor in spirit is the idea that there in Matthew chapter 5, he speaks of a poor in spirit as those who understand where they're at, but they have fully trusted in God, but still you know, I'm a bankrupt man or a bank, bankrupt woman before God. You know, when I, before I gave my life to Jesus, I was, you know, examining my life and I'm like, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. And that's what Romans said. Romans said, yeah, your account there of righteousness is in the negative. <laughs> You're zero. There's no hope for you outside of Jesus. Then Jesus says, once you give him your life to me, I completely fill your account with righteousness. That poor in spirit understands that. You understand who you are before a holy God. And so this place of being poor in spirit, you know, you need a, an amazing work of God's spirit. I, I think of the next one. The, the next one is, is, is even, uh, it says sorrow, um, you know, to, it, the, the idea of to heal the brokenhearted Jesus came for. I think of the many things that brings about a broken heart. Death in our families. My brother died, you know, and very close to me, died of COVID and, um, you know, and, and I just, uh, I think, wow, God, heal my broken heart. And he does. Broken hearts can, I mean, you can get them from relationships. You can get them from your husband, from your wife, or your sons or daughters or, you know, friends. Or just just what you're involved in this, this, just looking at this world and going, man, what is going on? This whole world's in entropy mode and it's all winding down and everything is just out of order. And you're brokenhearted because of that. And Jesus says, I've come to rescue your broken heart. Listen, this is a supernatural work of God that goes deep within the soul and begins to clean you up and transform you in the inside and then puts the hope in there and, he, and even though you're going through the same struggle, you no longer have that broken heart. You're like, oh, what happened there? It's mended. That's that supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I come to heal the broken heart. It says bondage there to proclaim liberty to the captives. I was preaching one day at a prison uh, it was for lifers. It was an Otai, and I had all these men that were around me, and these guys were scary. They, you know, one guy had six 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 tattooed on his head, and I mean, they had all these scary devil, you know, pictures of these horrible creatures all over their skull, you know, and and, and they're looking at me. What do you have for us, you know? And I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, I need you right now, man, because I need to give them hope. And I, you know, and they started applauding me. They, they introduced me and they started clapping for me. And I said, hey, hey, don't, don't applaud, don't clap for me. 
I said, because the only difference between you and I is that I ran faster than all you, you know, and then they really started clapping. And then the, the, the guards, they all looking at me like, what are you doing here? And who are you? And I'm like, I'm really in trouble. Anyway, so I told them a story about the people in Nepal. I said, listen, you guys have water, you have food, you have air conditioned. <laughs> I can't even turn my air conditioning off. Man. You, you guys have air conditioning because you have a heater, you have entertainment. But let me tell you what happens in Nepal. These people are put in prisons in their mind because they're afraid of these gods that have come upon them in their mind and put them in a prison. Every negative thing, every bad thing that ever happens to them, they blame it on a god. And they got to find the right god that they have offended. So they bring food, they crawl on their bellies for hundreds and hundreds of feet just to get an audience with one of those gods. And so they have imprisoned themselves with every negative thing and saying, God hates us, God despises us, and they're in prison. And, they, and those guys, and I, I gave an altar call, and many of them gave their lives to Jesus. And they said, man, I told them, listen, God will place your mind from this earthly realm behind these, these prison doors into the heavenly realm. He will place you there if you will only accept him. And they did. And that's what God's going to do. He's going to take them out of this, their environment and put them from captivity to being set free. Except for a couple of these guys were lifers. Listen to this. They gave their lives to Jesus and the prison system let them go. Let them go. Now they're Christians serving the Lord Jesus, which was impossible, right? Impossible because of what they did. But God set them free indeed. And man, and they testify of these amazing stories. I get to see those guys every now and then. It's a lot of fun. Listen to the next one. It says they're um, suffering, and recover a sight of, to the blind. When Jesus comes, he did all kinds of miracles. L- listen, you don't have to go far. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These guys testified of Jesus' life on earth. And he did the greatest miracles of all time. Caused the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, leprosy to flee, the blind to see. Miracle after miracle recorded in our Bible to prove who he is, Written in the first century, right? We have Greek manuscripts that are 30 days from, or 30 years from the the last uh, apostle. 30 years. I mean, that's that's amazing. Meaning, our manuscripts that we have verify that Jesus walked on planet Earth and did the greatest miracles. Christianity is here because it had a starting point. Where did they find it? In the first century. Who did they write about? Christus. Who's that? Christ. Christus is the Latin name. Christ. Historians wrote it down. The greatest miracles of all time. And here he says, I've come. I've come to give recovery and sight to the blind. Now, spiritually speaking... Right? How blind were we? 25 years, man, I lived in the world and I said, I want nothing to do with you, God. I waved my fist and said, I want nothing to do with you. I did it by my actions. But then all of a sudden, the way the Holy Spirit does, he comes in and begins to reveal truth. One plus one is two. (laughs) God, 
you just can't, you can't blame this on an evolutional process. I mean, process. You cannot blame that. There's no, you know, you know, they, they fail because the simple fact, I shouldn't even go here, but we have a little time. Anyways, because we got all day. Anyway, let me tell you this. Listen, there's no such thing as one creature turning into a different creature. There's always changes within the one creature. There's always changes. There's changes within the dog. That's why we have the variety of dogs. There's always changes within the people because we're people, same people, but never outside of that. Never. But they tell you this little one, and then they throw the fake one at you. See, now we believe in evolution, the big one, the big jump. But you got to believe it by faith. You're like, wait a minute. Can you show me some transitional forms? No, there's none. Zero. And the ones they do give you, you go and do the research, the same professors on their side will argue and say, no, no, no. So you got 50-50. Just give me something that says 100%. <laughs> right? Anyways, I got off on that. I didn't want to do that. But anyways, listen to this. What, what you know, Jesus did in walking on planet Earth is amazing. He gave us spiritual awakening. That's what happened to me. I began to look at evidence and truth, such as the evolution process. I, I, I looked at it with clear you know, eyes now, and I found it was lacking. And I looked at everything, science, history, archaeology. I went at it. And then I fell on my face and said, everything is so true about this Bible that I surrendered my life to you, Jesus. And now I will, be, I will tell everybody about the truth. Right? I was blind for 25 years, raising the public school system, kept feeding me all this junk so that I could be persuaded not to believe in God. By the way, that's what's happening in your universities and schools. They're trying to do anti-God stuff so you don't believe in truth. That's why you have all this craziness going on here in America. Anyways, hopefully we can take it back. Anyways, let's go listen to the next one. Oppression, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Listen, there is a demonic influence that comes in and begins to oppress you in a heavy way that you know not of. Think about your, uh, your phones. Your phones have all these uh, signals that are crossing over here. We have hundreds and hundreds of signals that are crossing over right now into our phones. Messages from all over the world, or that's me, but you know, for you, maybe family members here in the U.S., but listen to this. The devil knows how to reach your mind. Same signals. And then he oppresses you. You're no good. You're worthless. Commit suicide. Go get drunk. Do these drugs. Find your life somewhere else because there's no life here to be found. This is the enemy. Oppression is real. And Jesus says, I come to set you free. Isn't that beautiful? This is the work of the Holy Spirit upon an individual. Listen, Jesus is proving by doing these miracles that he's the Messiah, he's the Christ. He's pointing everybody to himself. Listen, Jesus says this, I'm going to anoint you with the Holy Spirit so that you can do the very same thing but pointing the people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to give you power. Do you want it? Does that bring fear into your heart? He wants to empower you that you might have this amazing spiritual life to heal the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captive and recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are present. This is a spirit-filled individual. It's not the running around. It's not the yelling, right? In, in, uh, in the foreign countries, Pastor Ross and I have been there many times. They think that being spirit, spirit-filled is shouting. For God so loved the world that he gave his son and he's going to bring you power, fire. You know, and you're like, wow, that's spirit-filled anointing. No, 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 no. This is the spirit-filled person. One who can bring healing to a broken heart. That's the work of God. The one that can proclaim liberty to the captives, the one that can bring recovery of sight to the blind. God still works in miracles, by the way. You know, we don't see a lot of it here in the Western world, but when you go to uh, a third world country or in Nepal and India and you have all the students sit there and you ask them, hey, tell me how you came to Jesus. And they say it was a miracle. And they tell you the miracle and you're just blown away. What? We thought that miracle ceased. What happened? <laughs> you know, only, in the, only in the Western world can we come with that crazy idea. It's because we have hospitals, doctors, we have medicine. So we throw God out of the equation. They don't have that. They need the power of the Holy Spirit. How can you receive this power? Listen to this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says this. Let me start in verse 4. Jesus tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem, and I'm going to give you the promise that the Father said that he's going to give, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, verse 4. On the occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you heard have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this promise of the power coming upon all believers. In the Old Testament it only came on select few. But as Christians the Holy Spirit can come upon all. By the way that word power is where we get the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Boom. That's Pastor Ross says that a lot. Boom. This is boom. You know, this is power. (laughs) Boom. Power. One of the characteristics of seeing the Holy Spirit come upon these individuals in the book of Acts is boldness. They weren't afraid of the same people that crucified Jesus that they ran from. They weren't afraid They prayed, Lord, give us more boldness. Fill us a fresh Holy Spirit. And who's the promise for? Acts 2.39, Peter is preaching this message and then he preps them. He says, listen, this promise is for you and your children, speaking of the Jews and their children. And notice what comes next. And for all who are far off, that's you and I. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. You want power? Simply ask. It's by faith. The same way you ask Christ in your life is the same way, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might have power to do your work. Amen?
I don't know about you, I want that power. Not for my glory, but for his glory. I'm weak, I'm feeble, <laughs> I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death to get up here, man. You know. But when the Holy Spirit empowers you, great things can be accomplished. That's truth. Let's pray. Listen, if you never given your life to Jesus and you're part of that group that was blind, but now that you see and you hear God speaking to your heart and he's there knocking there saying, let me in, and you've never given your life and today you would like to do that, I want to give you that opportunity. If that's you, will you raise your hand and we'll say a sinner's prayer together. Everybody's done this. Anyone here for the first time would like to give their life to Jesus? Anyone here, just raise your hand, slip it up. When I gave my life to Jesus, the pastor asked me to come up to the front. <laughs> I was willing because I wasn't embarrassed. Anyone? All right. I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray, first of all, that God would comfort the broken hearts, those that are oppressed, and all those things we read. I want to pray for you first. And then I want to pray that you all receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray for those that are brokenhearted right now, Lord. Those that are poor in spirit. Those that are poor. Those that are oppressed. Those that need a special healing touch, Lord. Maybe it's cancer or some other sickness, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would meet their needs. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I come to you through Jesus by your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would pour out your Spirit afresh on every single person here, that they would be used by you mightily, that they would do the things that we just read to bring sight to the blind, to bring healing to the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to break the bondage of oppression. Name of Jesus, give us the ability to share you with others this great message. We need you, Holy Spirit. We have a, a better understanding today <laughs> of you, and we need you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9:30, and 11:30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.